It's good to be with you. I am happy that we get to head back into our sermon series, The Upside Down Kingdom. Jesus has been preaching, repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God is at hand. And this was earth-shattering news. And it is such good news because God's kingdom is different than the kingdom of this world. And that's why this message is such radical good news. And that's why we've titled this sermon series, The Upside Down Kingdom. And this morning, we're going to continue looking at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, where he really outlines in details what his kingdom is all about. And we're going to see even more so of how just upside down his kingdom truly is. So why don't you pray with me, and we're going to look at the next line in Jesus' most famous sermon. Lord, we are thankful that you are with us. We need you. We are so weak in and of ourselves. We are so needy, and you have what we need. Lord, I pray that you would minister to us by your Holy Spirit as we think about Just one line of your sermon. Your words are life. They are truth. They are what nourishes our souls. We pray that you would nourish us this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. In the kingdom of this world, there is no peace. No peace. All the fighting and the discord that we see in our world is evidence of this very fact that there is no peace. Chaos, conflict, strife, war, those are words that characterize our world. There's no peace in our families, there's no peace in our marriages. There's no peace in our schools. There's no peace in our businesses. God knows there's no peace in our government, right? No peace. Why is there no peace? James, the brother of Jesus, he tells us why. And his words are just as relevant today as they were Back 2,000 years ago. This is what James says. Check out his words. And surely he got this from his brother Jesus. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war You do not have because you do not ask, and you ask and do not not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Do you hear what James is saying this morning to all of us? The reason why there are so many quarrels, so much fighting, so much discord, all comes from your desire for pleasure. The reason there's so much conflict in your life right now 
is because of your desire for pleasure or someone else's desire for pleasure. You see, you're not satisfied on the inside. And so you go and you look for satisfaction in all these different places outside of you for fulfillment. You see that person over there has a nice car, and they seem happy, and so you set your heart on a nice car. So maybe that you would be fulfilled and happy like them. That person over there has a nice home, and so you lust for that. If you just had that, then you would be happy. You see that person over there, they have kids. And if you just had kids, if, and so you start coveting kids, you would be happy. That person over there, well, they have a well-paying career with plenty of vacation and plenty of perks. If I just had that, then I'd be happy. You see, this person over there is really good at you fill in the blank. If I just had that ability, then I would be fulfilled. That person, look. Man, such a nice physique. If I just had that, then I would be content. This person's retired. If I was just retired, then I would be okay. Then I would be fulfilled. Then I would be happy. Our hearts are restless. They are restless. And they have no contentment. They know no peace, and so we are constantly telling ourselves, if we just had this, then we would be happy. And what ends up happening is it's like we're chasing the wind, because we're often always shooting for something that we don't obtain, or we finally do get it, and this is perhaps worse, it doesn't deliver. And then what? Then what? You see, James describes this downward spiral into idolatry. Check this out. This is, to me, I, this was like light bulb moment for me this past week. I wrestled with this passage. I, don't, I still don't feel good about it. I'm trusting God will use it. It starts with the per- person turning a desire into a demand. A want becomes a need. You see, desires aren't bad. They're God-given. But when they become a demand that I have to have this, that's when you know a desire has been turned into an idol in your heart. And it can initially be a good thing. And then, when this good thing becomes a God thing, James 4 tells us that the next step is judgment. What we start doing is we judge people that we believe are blocking us from the thing that we are demanding. Because they are blocking us from life. Because we're believing that if we have this thing, then we would be fulfilled and happy. And so those people that are in our way from us getting what we now demand, we start judging them. 
we start saying that they're not meeting our expectations. If my husband was more like this husband, I would be satisfied. If my wife was more like her, then I would feel secure. If they really loved me, they would be fulfilling me. And what we do is when we judge, we criticize, we nitpick, we nitpick, we condemn, we look down our noses at, we despise, and then there is this resentment and this bitterness that starts taking root in our heart. And so we go from demand to judgment. You know what the next thing is? We punish. That's our next step. We punish. All this demanding and judging leads to us punishing people who are blocking us from what we now demand. How do we punish people? We do it in two ways or a mixture of the two. We either enter into fight mode or flight mode. Some of you are fighters. Some of you are just, you run. Look, if we are fighters, what we do is we lash out at the person that is not meeting our demands. We speak to them harshly. We criticize them. We belittle them. We condemn them. We do it with our words. That's exactly what was happening in James, wasn't it? Look, there was an unmet desire that turned into a demand that turned into judgment and punishing by fighting. It got even so bad that murder was the result. Others of you, you inflict punishment by going into flight mode. And so what you do is you withdraw yourselves physically and emotionally from people. You take your ball home and, you know, and you run away crying and go home with your own ball. You walk around all sad and gloomy as a way of punishing the person that's blocking your demand. And what all this fighting and this flighting is doing is it's you trying to manipulate people into caving into your demands. And here's perhaps the worst part of it all. We often cover our demands with this cloak of righteousness. Mm. We often cover our demanding, our judging, and our punishing with a cloak of righteousness. We say that our punishing and our judging and our demanding is because I'm just really, I just really want what's fair. Or I just really want what God wants in this situation. And these are all based on selfishness. This is all based on a power play to get what we want and feel like we need. Let me give you some real life examples of this downward spiral that leads into idolatry, that leads to this conflict. All right, so there are times when in the summer, I've come home from a hard day of work, right? And Mary is just done with the boys, just done being a mom. Can any moms relate and connect? 
They've been disrespectful. <laughs> they've been disrespectful. They've been whining. They've been complaining. They've been fighting. And she is just done. Right? Now, this can really anger me. And I can cover my anger with this cloak of righteousness that says, oh, I'm just mad at the boys for disrespecting their mom. Or I'm just sad for Mary because she's had to deal with two knuckleheads all day. But you know what I'm really angry about? I'm ticked off that I worked hard all day and I can't come home to comfort, peace, and relaxation. That's what I'm really angry about. Relaxation is what I crave. I'm entitled to it. I deserve it. A comfortable, easy life. That's my desire. And you know what? I believe it's what I need. I got to have it in this moment. And so I am ticked off that I got to come home and deal with this. And here's what I do next. Then I start judging. If Mary... Look, this is all ridiculous. But aren't our hearts so ridiculous? Check this out. If Mary, she's blocking my demand. Because if she would have just done, would have just done what she should have done today and kept order in the home, I could be coming home to peace and quiet. But because of her ineptitude in being a mother, yeah, no, hey, Mary's quality control, she reads my sermons every Sunday. I don't trust myself to give a sermon without her reading it. I've already got permission. Anytime, well, there are plenty of times where things come out that I haven't gotten permission for. That is true. I did get permission on this one, though. This is what I'm thinking in my heart and mind. If she would have just manned up, so to speak, laid the law, punished them, I could be coming home to peace and quiet. How, how dare she? So what's my next step? I'm going to punish her, right? And so what I do is I'll criticize, right? But it's all under this cloak of righteousness. I, Mary, I just don't want this to happen to you again. Right? I, you know, I'm just trying to help. You see, this is pathetic. I put that in my sermon notes. This is pathetic, isn't it? Yes, it's pathetic. But this sort of thing happens all the time. And it happens to you, not just me. And if it doesn't happen to you, you are lying. <laughs> you do not know your heart. I'm telling you. And you know what's crazy about it all? This relax relaxation that I crave and that I need, that I demand, I don't get it. Because if mama ain't happy, right, I actually work against what I'm trying to accomplish. So not only am I pathetic, I'm stupid, <laughs> right? 
This morning, the morning that I was writing this, Mary was at the start of two days off of teaching due to cold weather. Talk about trying not to judge and punish. <laughs> and when I, ex- so she, she expressed her desire that for the next two days, she just wants to have fun. Girls just want to have fun. And Mary loves to have fun. That's her plan. I was going to have a good time. And my desire is, look, there's things that need to get done around the house. Because I like order. Right? She was demanding fun in that moment. And I was the fun police. Right? And I was demanding order. And she was getting in the way of that. And here's what we talked about, is that we both truly don't need fun nor order in the home. We desire it, but we don't absolutely have to have it. And what this enabled us to do is compromise, right? She was able to do some cleaning, and then we spent the rest of the afternoon and evening with friends having fun. But if we would have really clung to our desires as demands, Mary would have had a horrible day off. And I would have had a horrible day, you know, doing what I had to do. So these are petty examples, I know, but this is real life right here. And often a forest starts, a forest fire starts with what? A spark. That's all. That's all. I guarantee that if you think back on any conflict that you had this past week, it was due to someone turning a desire into a demand. I must have a husband who loves me as I am unconditionally, a boss who notices me, appreciates me, and commends my work. I must have a child who loves me and respects me. I must have a dad that will spend time with me. I must have a a wife who fulfills me sexually. I must have a neighbor who will muzzle their barking dog. I must have a son who achieves good good grades and takes out the trash. And I must have a coach that plays me enough. I must have a teacher who grades me fairly. I've got to have it. You know, the kingdom of the world, it really encourages this downward spiral into idolatry. It teaches us that, hey, if anybody's stopping you from what you desire, you demand it, you get it, you do you, right? Go get it. Take care of yourself. And the people of the kingdom of the world are extremely savvy at getting what they demand. They know how to bend the truth. They know how to manipulate people. They know how to work the system to get exactly what they want, exactly what they believe they're entitled to. James, in in chapter 3 of this book that bears his name, he tells us that, that this type of wisdom is actually extreme foolishness. James 3, 14, and 16, or through 16, says this, But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exists, confusion and everything, every evil thing are there. 
This is where this kind of mentality leads to, this downward spiral of idolatry, right? So what's the answer to this slippery slope of this downward spiral? What's the answer? Well, thankfully, James gives us the answer. And some of you might be thinking, well, it sounds like what I need to do is just combat my desires, like not desire, not seek pleasure, not seek happiness. Because if I can just nip that in the bud, then I'm not going to go into demanding, judging, punishing. (laughs) But this doesn't work, and we know this. We are hardwired for pleasure. We are hardwired for joy and satisfaction and fulfillment. So the, the solution is not trying to get rid of those desires. Unless, of course, they're just sinful, impure desires and that's something else. James tells us what we need to do if we want to get rid of all this quarreling and this fighting. James 4, 2 through 10 says this. You lust and do not have, you murder and covet and cannot obtain, you fight and war, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? Jealous, jealously. But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep, and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And he will lift you up. Do you hear what James is saying? If you want to avoid feuding, if you want to avoid fighting, if you want to reduce the conflict in your life, stop. Stop trying to find ultimate satisfaction in things other than God. What stops our fighting is our proximity to God. Draw near to God. And there's this promise that he will draw near to you. Stop being this adulterer. Stop. You are looking for satisfaction and pleasure in lovers that can't give it to you. And as we draw close to God, we receive this wisdom from above. Check this out, James 3.17. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And then in James 3.13, he says this. This is how you can spot a truly wise person. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Look, we are back to the Beatitudes, aren't we? Pure, peaceable, meek, merciful. 
Throughout this sermon series, I've been telling you that each beatitude builds on the previous one. This one is no different. If you are going to be a peacemaker, you have to have a pure heart. You have to have a poverty of spirit. You have to have a meekness. Let me close by explaining why these things are so essential to peacemaking. First, a pure heart is essential to peacemaking because a pure heart, if you remember when I taught on this, is undivided in its allegiance to God. It's, it's a person that is seeking ultimate fulfillment in Christ and in Christ alone. And what this results in is a healthy indifference to all things. They're feasting on the bread of heaven and they're washing it down with living water. And so the things of this world, if they have them, great. If they don't have them, great. They don't find themselves in a ton of conflict because they're not getting caught in this vicious cycle of, I desire this, but no, no, I demand it, I judge, I punish. Christ, Christ is sufficient for them. Their all-consuming passion is to know Christ, to be known by him, and to be used by him to advance his kingdom purposes. Everything else is secondary. Everything else is negotiable. And that's why they are able to yield. They're willing to yield. Their only demand is that they know Christ and that they're known by Christ and that they are working for him. And so they have this healthy indifference to their desires. It's not that they don't desire. It's just those desires, yeah, they have them but they don't become demands. Also, not only do you need to be pure in heart, but you need to have this poverty in spirit, in meekness, if you're going to be a peacemaker. Because poverty in spirit and meekness leads to this humility and this gentleness. You see, a person poor in spirit understands that they, that they are so broken and there's nothing that they could do to make themselves right with God. And so they know that they are utterly dependent on God. And they see then all of the good in their life as a gracious gift from God, not things they're entitled to, not things that they deserve. And so they don't walk around with this attitude of entitlement that the world owes me because they understand that they've received so much amazing grace they're quick to extend grace because they, re- they understand they've seen or uh, received so much uh, mercy. They're quick to extend mercy. To speak. They're quick to give others the benefit of the doubt. They're quick to listen. Slow to speak because they actually really do want to hear the other person's perspective, the other person's heart, because they know that they don't have it all figured out and that they have blind spots. The person that is poor in spirit and is meek, they're not trying to force their agenda down the throats of other people. They're not bold. They're not brash. They're not this self-assertive kind of my way or the highway. When conflict arises, they're more interested in preserving the relationship than they are in winning the argument. They understand that chances are they have a big old log in their eye, and so they try and find that log before they look at the speck in the other person's eye. 
They live out this, they live this out. Unity in the essentials, liberty in the non-essentials, and in everything, love. They hold on to the truth in a kind and gentle way. They're self-controlled, especially when it comes to anger. They're the sort of people that if you don't agree with their position, they love you. You still feel heard. You still feel like they really cared for you as you explained your position. How meekness is needed and poverty of spirit and purity of heart is needed for peacemaking. And let me close with this. Meekness is not weakness. And I'm going to emphasize this because some of you have bought in this lie, and it's a lie that I think is rampant in the church. God has, and it's this, that God has called us to be peacekeepers. He didn't call us to be peacekeepers, peacemakers. It's, there's a difference. Let me explain. Some of you think that the call is to avoid conflict at all costs. Do whatever just to keep the peace. You know what this leads to? A whole bunch of artificial intimacy. A bunch of people walking around the church with smiles on their faces, because that's the Christian thing to do, but with all this pent-up resentment and bitterness in their heart. That's being a coward. There, the Bible talks about, like, it, it is a good thing to overlook an offense, and in a high percentage of situations, that's the right thing to do, but not always. Because as broken and, and as messed up as we are, we believe that God is transforming us. And so there's going to be times where we actually, because of the spirit in us, discern that something is wrong because it really is wrong. And we need to not avoid conflict but in meekness and gentleness and poverty of spirit and humility, we go and we see peace be made. Do you see the difference between peacemaking and peacekeeping? Peacekeeping is the cowardly thing to do. Peacemaking takes courage. It takes boldness. It takes wisdom from above. May we be peacemakers here at Abundant Life. May we not have just this artificial harmony where everybody's walking around with smiles glued on their faces, but we don't deal with conflict in a healthy way. Now, you see, if we are peacemakers, we show that is evidence that we are children of God. Because if we are peacemakers, we are mimicking what God has done for us. We are living out the reconciliation we have received in Christ. And that is one of the surest signs that you truly are a child of God. And the good news of this Sermon on the Mount is that God can transform you into a peacemaker. 
It is not, oh my goodness, I got I to gotta, I gotta make myself right. I got to turn myself into a peacemaker, and then God will accept me into his family, and I can be one of his ch- children. The good news that Jesus is saying is, look, God's power is available right now, and he can transform you into a person that doesn't run from conflict, nor goes at it with a fighting mentality, but he can change you into a person that works towards reconciliation and peace. That's the good news. And aren't we glad that God in Christ didn't go to judging us and punishing us? You see, he is the ultimate peacemaker. Our sin was like a wall of hostility against God, and God didn't judge us, and he didn't punish us. Instead, he does the unthinkable. He comes, and he dies the most wretched of deaths so that there could be peace. Want to talk about courage? Aren't you so glad that Jesus isn't a coward? Aren't you so glad that he doesn't just sweep it all under the rug and pretend that it doesn't exist, but he deals with it? Mm. May we mirror our great king. Let's pray. Not, Lord, I pray that we would not, my, my fear for myself, and hopefully it's a healthy fear, my fear for these people is that we just hear these, this truth, but yet we live lives unaffected by it. I pray that this is not just another Sunday where we come and we listen and we say, oh, amen, Pastor Shane, and we do absolutely nothing about it. Lord, help us to search our hearts. Help us to ask the hard questions, the penetrating, probing, revealing questions of what makes me angry? What is my heart saying that I have to have? What am I demanding? How am I engaging in judgment and punishment? And Lord, may you free us from it. How am I fighting or flighting? How am I being a coward and not dealing with conflict and being passive when I need to engage it in love and gentleness and truth? We love you, Jesus. Thank you that you are still in the business of changing us because we need it. May this church be such a peacemaking church that we are looking, we're doing the hard work in every situation we're in, whether it's our family, whether it's our workplace, whether it's wherever we're at, we're looking to make peace, to bring about reconciliation. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.